Welcome everybody to Epic X-Men Reread presented by Crushing Comics. I'm here with my friends Tyler and Freya and we are together because we are rereading the classic run of Chris Claremont's X-Men. We started with giant size X-Men and we're going at least until the Dark Phoenix Saga. Why? Because Tyler and I have read these before and Freya has not. And as a newly minted X-Men expert, Freya has read a lot of X-Men, but she hasn't read these. So we're kind of seeing them again through her eyes. So here's a couple of notes before we get started. This episode, we're going to be tackling Marvel Team-Up 1972, uh, issue 89. We're also going to be tackling Uncanny X-Men Annual 3, which in many places is just X-Men Annual 3 because they didn't start with the uncanny title. And even mm -hmm. X-Men at this point wasn't technically Uncanny X-Men. And also we're going to read the backup story in classic X-Men 31. If you want to see the whole X-Men reading order, just go to my website, crushingcrisis.com, crushingcrisis with a K.com, and you can see this full X-Men reading order there. And then the final note that I need to give is that spoilers abound for the future of the Marvel Universe. And although it probably doesn't have too much relevance to these issues, mm. we might hint at some of the develops, developments in House of X and Powers of X because that's part of what inspired us to do this read together. So you've been warned, but if we're going to get into any more specifics than that from stuff from 2019 and forward, we will give you ample warning. <sighs> Hi, folks. Hi. I was thinking today, since this is about Nightcrawler running away and returning to the circus, that we could talk about uh, an early member memory of like a circus or, or zoo, you know, because at, at the time when we were all younger, circuses still were like an animal show, which they're not mm. as much now. Now it's much more like Cirque du Soleil, Cirque du Soleil. acrobatic mm. type stuff. Freya, do you have an early memory of like a circus or a zoo uh, that you can share with us? So the zoo, it's like, you know, it's one of those stories that my family tells. So it's like, I'm not sure if it actually happened because apparently I was too young. Um, <laughs> so the whole thing was I went to the zoo. Apparently I went to the zoo with my uncle or cousins or whatever. And they had to bring me out of there in tears because I wanted to bring the tiger home with me. <laughs> so like... I saw the tiger and I'm like, no, I'm, I'm going to take the tiger with me. So now as an adult after years, and then, you know, that story may have been st stuck in my consciousness. I have a mini Black Panther at home. <laughs> you know, it's a live mini Black Panther. She's well, rustling she, around in the background. There. Yeah, yeah, she's rustling around in the background all the time. And if you have seen our show, you may have, she had made cameo appearances. And she's named after Mystique. So her name is Lady Darko. But then it started there, you know, wanting a tiger, but then settling for just as ferocious mini Black Panther. I actually have the That's almost the inverse of that story in a way. So I, um, I we used to go to the zoo all the time. Philadelphia Zoo is the oldest zoo in America. It's a really beautiful zoo. Mm -hmm. And at the time, they had they have less animals now. They had polar bears and elephants. Elephants are not really a zoo animal anymore. And um, and I just have all these memories of sitting on the elephant and seeing the polar bears and all these things. And I was convinced by the time I was in like middle intermediate school that I was going to be a veterinarian. I wanted to do like a sciencey doctory thing, but I didn't want to be responsible for the health of human beings. So I was like, mm -hmm. animals, that would be great. Except for I had no experience with animals whatsoever. Like we had like two house cats, but I had never, I didn't have dogs or I had never been to a farm or anything. Like I, I was making this assumption purely on being a kid who had liked going to the zoo and liking house cats. And mm -hmm. so finally, when I was in like 
eighth or ninth grade, the zoo was like accepting kids to come on as like interns over the summer to be in the children's zoo and probably just like clean up goat poop, quite frankly. And I (laughs) just remember I went there for the first day, like I got dropped off at the back zoo entrance and I walked in and I just was beside myself. They were like, you just need to pick up this armadillo. I'm like, you want me to touch the armadillo? And then they're (laughs) like, we just need you to clean out this rabbit, you know, uh, cage. And I was like, but what if the rabbit charges me? Like I, I was so sheltered because I didn't have anybody in my family who had pets or had a farm or had anything that I had I had this vision in my head that was not matching up with reality at all. So I did my day and I came home and I was like, I don't think I'm going to be a veterinarian <laughs> because I hadn't really considered that I actually find a lot of these animals a little bit scary to deal with directly. And it wasn't even like I was working with like lions and tigers and bears. Mm-hmm. We were at the like rabbit and armadillo level. Uh, So it turned out that I wasn't going to be a veterinarian, but it's funny to me now because, you know, my daughter is in that similar phase of kids. Kids just like animals. I think a lot of kids, Mm -hmm. you know, you teach them animal sounds and then they go to the zoo and they see all the animals. And it's really funny because she has gone to the Wellington Zoo's program, which is brilliant, their kids program, and do all the take care of the animals things. And when she got home, I was like, so what'd you think about that? Did, what'd you like about those animals? Because I, we don't have house pets or anything. So this was her right. first time really ever being exposed to animals. She's kind of still into them. We have a friend who keeps chickens and we went over and she wanted to like do this whole examination of the chicken. Mm. She wanted to redesign the chicken coop. She wanted to examine the chicken's feathers. So I'm like, who knows? Maybe the next generation is going to be a veterinarian. You never know. You know how there's like a, in Marvel Universe, there's like offshoot of realities. There's one reality of ours where pe- uh, Peter is a veterinarian. But I only work on cats. I'm a cat yeah. only veterinarian. Yeah, I do a cat. Cats. Yeah, yeah, a cat only veterinarian. Like, you know, there. <laughs> yeah. Well, I really, I remember like having a serious conversation, as serious your conversation could be in eighth grade about your career with my mom being like, could I be a veterinarian that only, that wouldn't see dogs? Do I have to? And she's like, probably in veterinary school, you're going to have to learn yeah, about you can, dogs. Yeah, yeah, you can figure that out afterwards that <laughs> yeah. when you are in practice. But, but you yeah. can't not learn about dogs. Right. Yeah. Tyler, do you do you, say, do you have anything that can break up our our zoo chat here? Well, I mean, um, to, um, just to tag on to what you said, um, I I wanted to be a vet too. Aww. So, yeah. So for for a while, yeah. I mean, uh, when I was younger, um, the um, cheapest animal that we could keep is a uh, fish. Yeah. I keep telling like, you know, the kid that she's going to get a fish. If she, she has a yeah. houseplant to take care of first. If she yeah. can keep that alive, then she can have a fish. So it's like, you know, um, like, you know, when at that time, I do not know the entire, the whole way of like how, how, how a tank works and how to keep fish alive. And so the fish keeps dying. And oh. then, yeah, it wasn't, it wasn't good. And then, you know, and so fast forward, um, to 2009 when I moved here so I decided I was stressed um, I can't remember because of school or because of work and I decided that I need a fish tank to help me relax mm. and that's when I went like really deep into it like I understood the nitrogen cycle I understood how to keep the fish alive and I went from like a 33-gallon tank to a 55-gallon tank. And I kept a community of fish all the way up till um, 2000. Uh, all, all the way up to um, 2000, uh, I would say 2012, 2013. And I had the big tank. And um, 
well, not really big by some other people's standard. So, mm-hmm. but um, yeah, and then uh, Hurricane Sandy hit and the apartment lost power, and oh, it got cold, no. and surprisingly, some fish did not die, even <gasps> though it did not have heat, and they are tropical fish, and like, but a lot of fish actually died, and. I it was really cold, so I my office was good enough. I mean, it was kind enough to put me in a hotel, and but then there's no way I can keep the tank warm. Oh, no. So I no. knew that it's going. I'm going to come back to a tank of dead fish, and I did come back to a tank of a lot of dead fish. But surprisingly, some fishes were alive. Um, I think partly is because the, I kept a tank with live plants. So the plants were actually absorbing all the um, decomposed dead fish um, so that you know, the cycle was actually uh, going on. So And it happens that those fish that managed to survive was managed to survive in the cold. Um, so so um, yeah, so that was the thing. But later on, I had to um, get rid of them because um, you know because of other things. So um, yeah, so now so I, no fish I don't now. Have you don't fish. have any now. No, I don't. Yeah, but I still watch a lot of like aquariums and fish videos when <laughs> oh. I'm free. Yeah, that was and, a and very and sad story. I know you were a downer. Was... If we had planned that better, we would have had you go first. And then... uh. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> now I'm just gonna be thinking about all of your sad, dead, lonely fish. Um, yeah. yeah, and then well, you know you can make a whole comic book out of them. They're like, oh my god, we're dying. The humans are coming back. Dun dun dun. Oh, <laughs> Tyler. <laughs> It does seem like a really sad, like, indie graphic novel about, like, this person who, like, loves their fish and gets the fish. And then, but, like, all the tragedies of the person's life are, like, through the fish's yeah. perspective. You oh, now you're making or, like, oh, wow. so sad. Or, like, shown, shown by them, like, approaching the fish. It feels like something Jeff Lemire would write if it was about somebody who was also a sad That's dad. That's true. Um, yeah. Okay. So that had nothing to do, really, for, with, with our conversation today. <laughs> no. But it, it, made, it made me... <laughs> I thought of that because... The this Marvel team up issue, uh, it's not one I'd ever read before, and it's I don't, and it's Nightcrawler's circus career comes to haunt him in New York City because his old circus promoter who moved him over to the Freak Show is here, and he wants to kill Spider Man for promotion for his new United States based circus. Am I getting that right? Yeah, that's pretty much it. Yeah, yeah. I don't know because I I oh, couldn't Ty, find right, the issue. Oh, a rare one that Tyler did not read and Faria yeah. did. Yeah. I yeah so, right. I mean, it's like a, the world has inversed. I so, couldn't find a digital issue, and it's not on Marvel Unlimited. No, so. it is not in Marvel. I happen to have this one physically, which is which, which is, is kind of surprising. Book. Why is it not on Marvel Unlimited? Everything else before and after is on Marvel Unlimited. I don't so know. which which there were some of, issues like, which were like blank and like no no covers and everything and it's like, not like rom is in it or something like yeah. it's not it's not like it's because of rights i don't think no there's nothing anyway nothing in here so yeah. look there's two things that are significant to me here one is that it's th- it shows that nightcrawler can have fun on his own and i think it's part of this claremont thing that we started talking about last episode where he's trying to like connect each of these international characters to a little piece of home right so storm like mm. tries to go back to her childhood apartment it's a drug den colossus you know decides to be the proletarian and go back to mother russia and gets you know kicked out again uh and so nightcrawler is reconnected to the circus based 
uh, part of his childhood. And he really delineates in a way that I think is useful and I never had before because I never read this before. But he thinks of there being a difference between when he was an acrobat and when he was a freak. This was the line in his life between feeling accepted and feeling like one and feeling like he had a family and being told, no, you're just one of the oddities. And that he has like, it's Nightcrawler, so he only has so much resentment about that, but it helps to bridge to where we meet him in Giant Size X-Men. So having read this for the first time, that was the first thing I found really interesting about it. What did you think about that angle, Freya? Uh, no, I mean, that also kind of makes sense, though, because the thing is, like, he... I think, like, when he first joined the circus, it was fairly family-owned, which a lot of circus tended to be. And I think then this person came and bought it, and then he got demoted in his yeah. world. And then the thing is, like, what... I think it's something that we all... Like, I don't know, a lot of us felt it, right? There's, like, you know, our... Um, because of who we are as a person, our our actual skills didn't matter. You know, it was based on our our look, identity, and everything. We were pushed into a box, and that's mm -hmm. what he was. Mm -hmm. He was othered. He was boxed into this. And I think that's one of the reasons, like, he was so mad when we first met him in uh, Giant Size X-Men. Um, but then also, I, I was a little bit more surprised that he and Amanda Sefton seems like getting along just fine, and he appears to her as himself, which I thought that was very good. Like, you yeah. know, I mean, we, we've seen that in the, in the arcade um, issues that we're doing, like they are going on a date and then he's himself. But I wasn't sure when that happened. When did... The they first the, met in Uncanny X-Men uh, Right, but with the image but he was, Oh, yeah, yeah that's was, right, that's right. He that's had right, an image inducer. Right. So that's why I was confused by that. That mm -hmm. it's like, oh, so time has passed that he appears as himself to her. And it was very cute. Like, you know, it's like, oh, you know, he's like, oh, I can't stay mad at you. And they were like flirting and everything. And then they were in the back of a truck. It's like, oh, do you know how many times I dreamt about being together? Like, you know, he was actually, they were kind of in an awkward hugging situation. Yeah, like, they're like in a uh, trunk. Yeah, yeah and she's like, trying. don't even try it. Yeah, it's like, put your hands and tail to yourself. It's like, oh, I'm trying. <laughs> so it, I think like that, I really connected because he, he always had that self um, image issue. But, mm. you know, I was like, oh, you know, finally he's being accepted. So, and by a random person, like, you know, a random lady that he just happened to meet. So, yeah. Yeah, and I also, I mean, I all that really jumped out at me, you know, Claremont has written in these kind of random love interests for him and Colossus, and of course Amanda Sefton turns out not to be that random, uh, yeah. but oh. you don't really get a lot of play yeah. of them in the main Uncanny X-Men run, and I just feel like here, this was, it was cute. Like, even when she makes the comment in the trunk, and a lot of other comics of this era would come off kind of creepy, like, but it, yeah. it was actually... It was kind of just like really funny, sweet, casual flirting that really sold that like Nightcrawler has made a place for himself here in New York. And uh, I just really loved it. Like, I really feel like I got something true and, and new out of this reading experience that I never had before. And Freya, something you just said really resonated with me, which is that like, you, you know, I'm not somebody who gets othered a whole lot in my life just because of how my identity, you know, presents itself. But I certainly have been. And certainly I'm in an environment now where I am the other all the time as the American, you know. Um, like, I mean, just talking about trunks of cars, like what we just got a very minor fender bender and the person hit me and I walked out of the car and, you know, I've been here several years. I have a New Zealand driver's license. Like this is where my life is. And I said, oh, hi, I just want to make sure you're okay. And of course we exchanged information, but your health is the most important thing. And the guy looks me up and down. And he goes, what are you, some foreigner? And I was like, oh, 
I that's another thing that I don't get to experience all that often that I'm sure the two of you have experienced in your lives before. And um, it wasn't like I was like broken or upset, you know, my fragile white self. I was like, oh, so that's what that feels like. Okay. <laughs> Many white people never have had this firsthand experience mm. before. And I was like, I'm a New Zealander. I have a New Zealand driver's license. Like, I'm a Kiwi. And he was like, all right, fine. And then it just made me um, reflect on that. And just that, like, that othering tends to happen after a big transition in your life a lot of times, right? Like, mm. you know, even when you get a new boss or something and, like, the new yeah. boss comes in, they're like, so I heard you're the one that's good with numbers. And you're like, well, actually, I do all this other stuff, too. And it's like, they're right. like, numbers, right. You know? So I just think that it was, it was like, a really human moment to learn that about nightcrawler yeah and then it's also kind of like you know we also later on get to see him have like a, a team up with uh spider-man and he's actually confused as the spider-man because he's yeah. running you know so and then peter is he, peter is there taking pictures like oh he cannot be the spider-man because i'm peter parker and i know who I the spider-man the Spider -Man. is i'm the spider-man i'm like oh riders please come <laughs> sir grandpa like, funny because don't Claremont, have to write it. Claremont got to, like, basically say Nightcrawler is our Spider-Man. Like, yeah. he hasn't been uh, super humorous up until this point, and this is Claremont, like, the, the, the gears are clicking, and he's realizing yeah. that Nightcrawler is X-Men Spider-Man, and I just, I just got a little zing out of that. So, did it, isn't there, like, a, uh, like, a uh, Amazing Spider-Man and X-Men, there's a book where he, Spider-Man comes to teach them in the school, after I the think, second volume of Wolverine and the X-Men, yes. It's right. Really and good. I think, it's very yeah, funny. Yeah, and I think like at that time Nightcrawler was actually dead. Um so but he there was a lot of introspection about it. Or he, he had, just came he, back. He'd just come back because Wolverine was alive when Nightcrawler came back. Right. So he would so, have just been alive long enough for Nightcrawler to come back and then died. And then there was like a lot of little bands going around. Yeah. But I think like, you know, I think like, you know, there was I feel like there was a little bit of friendship between Spider Wait. Peter is, like, Peter Parker is friends with everyone. Everyone, so, yeah. Yeah, everyone, like, loves him. So I think, like, you know, it just kind of, a little bit callback to that, I felt. Like, you know, it's like, oh, they just, just kind of, you know, bounced together and then yeah. saved the thing. So that was all my first point about this issue. <laughs> Poor Tyler. Uh, the, 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 the second point about this issue is, uh, I think that this is, the art style is just so different than the art mm. style in, X-Men, which is like way more kind of illustrative single cell of animation from a cartoon. This is much more realistic in this issue. It kind of reminded me like a little bit of Gene Cullen-ish, even though it's not that level, uh, mm -hmm. in that it was like really looked drawn from life. And Nightcrawler just hits really differently when he's been drawn as this kind of scary blue demon amongst a lot of people who look more like real life and less cartoony. And I just felt like again and again when they're in the circus, all the big panels of Nightcrawler, I'm like, oh, that hits really different with more realistic art than it does under the pen of Cockrum or Burke. Did that? Did you have like an art reaction at all? Well, the copy I read was really bad, mm, so yeah. it was difficult to kind of see. But what I do remember is like it was um very small panels, something that you don't usually see. Like, you know, like I said, no small panels in action, yeah. which is like I was like, whoa, that's kind of hard to decipher. Yeah, but then um they also capture a, an elephant with like a net. That was fun. <laughs> yeah. And then the elephant just stops. And I'm like, whoa. But yeah. So there's like all this kind of action scenes in them. It's the thing. That's what made me think about our opening topic, actually, because there are there's like 
an elephant left in New Zealand and it's about to move out. They're like shipping it to some other country where it could be on an elephant preserve. So it's this big, big deal that everybody's going to Auckland to see the elephant before it leaves if they've never seen it before, if they want to see it one last time. And like, I was like, whatever. Like I've seen elephants at several different zoos as a kid because at the time when we were kids, elephants were more prevalent. But then I was like, oh, but my daughter has never seen an elephant and like this might be her only chance for many years. Mm -hmm. So like... Just made me think of that. Uh, okay, so now we're moving on to Uncanny X-Men Annual 3. And since Tyler has had to just totally tap out of that whole conversation, <laughs> maybe Tyler can introduce us to this. The first of, and a long line of total WTF X-Men Annual stories <laughs> from Chris Claremont. The, I mean, the annuals are where his, he just lets his freak flag fully yeah, fly. He just, yeah, he just do whatever he wants in the annual. And most of the time, well, I wouldn't say most of the time. Like in the beginning, it will be something that has like nothing to do with the X-Men run at no, all. Never. I mean, yeah. At the end, I mean, later on, of course, he, he builds into it. Right. Like he builds into the annual and he builds out of the annual. So, um, yeah, but in this case... At least for me, what is mo no most notable is that this is the first and probably only time George Perez has drawn yes. an X-Men book. George Perez, classic yeah. artist and writer of Avengers, of Wonder Woman, of so many things. New Teen Titans. New Teen Titans. Yeah. It's like he has never done an X-Men book except for this one. And I thought it was, I mean, the art was, is great. It's beautiful. It is. It's so detailed. It's, and in some ways, and this is the first time I've noticed it, the faces here is actually quite cockroach. Especially the storm faces. Looks really like, you know, Cockrum's face. I was wondering if that was drawn. down a little bit to the inking because Terry Austin inks it and I was mm, trying to think could of... Could be. Does Austin ink Cockrum? I know Austin inks burn, so I was like burn, flipping back yeah. and forth. Yeah, yeah. But I don't know. I mean, it was really interesting. And um, I mean, and somehow I don't know if uh, George Paris has has any influence in how the story was um, was done, because it starts with like an Avengers <laughs> starts in the Avengers mansion with like um, uh, Javier and then like it goes into the it goes into the before it comes into X-Men. But um I mean the story is, is fun, it's okay. Um it is how you know it, it is a pretty standard type of story, I think. It's a very like mistaken identities, cross yeah. paths game yeah. of telephone kind and of And then you know, X-Men fought and helped save the dying world. Um it's nothing too special in terms of plot, but for me, I mean the highlight is the art. Some things I noticed about the art and then I wanna see what Freya had to say about it is um mm -hmm. it's it's really similar to Burn. And to mm -hmm. the point that you could be forgiven, I mean, Cyclops kind of looks like Burn, Colossus kind of looks like the Burn version. Yeah. But I will say that Perez draws certainly more detail than Burn, for sure. Oh, yeah. And he draws a little bit more anatomy on men than Burn does. Like, I, not that I'm always looking for this, but the men kind of have some supple bottoms in this issue. <laughs> Did anybody Dude. else notice this? Is it just me? <laughs> like, the men have got some booty in this issue. Um... <laughs> Like, I, I forget, I first noticed it in the big spread at the beginning, because Nightcrawler, even though he's, like, diving forward, dress, dress lovingly draws his his <laughs> his lovely gentleman humps, 
And then uh, Wolverine also just has these big quads and his muscles are bulging. And then later even Cyclops gets some booty as we see him walking away, much better than seeing him walking towards you in many cases. So I just really noticed that George Perez like draws the men a little bit more interestingly. Cheese, slightly, <laughs> slightly cheesecake, ever so slightly male cheesecake. Rhea, yeah, did you notice this at all? I know, I noticed it. And the thing is, like, yes. I actually didn't notice, I didn't notice that it was not burn until I got to the, you know, the dawn, the land of shadow, dawn of death. Like, you know, mm-hmm. the, the, when they went to the other world, I don't know yeah. what's the other world. But and you, you know saw that, I mean. you saw that Alcon. splash and you were like, well, that's not burn. No, yeah. no, first of all, that's not burn. I'm like, oh, that's Wonder Woman. <laughs> and oh, it then, does really look like oh, this Wonder Woman. Yeah, okay. you know, and because I read part some of it's his Wonder Woman, and I actually got the three omnibuses to kind of read it, so I kind of flipped through it, and then mm-hmm. he he drew some of them, um, and then I was like, oh, that's Wonder Woman, and then I looked around like, oh, who did it? And then I went back and saw that it was George Perez, and I thought that he, there is more of him, and he, you were saying that he's not. That's sad. He's no, he's more of an Avengers artist. Yeah, he only yeah, does, he, he did a lot of Avengers. Fantastic Four. He's because I mm. think I have a Fantastic Four Visionaries trade paperback yeah. trade paperback of press. Oh, okay, but yeah, in terms of the booty and stuff, I thought everyone was bootylicious. <laughs> Equally bootylicious. Well, and speaking yeah, of equal like, bootylicious. Speaking of bootylicious, uh, this I mean I'm skipping ahead a little bit, but this outfit that he puts Storm into really does feel like a Beyonce slash Destiny's Child stage outfit. Oh, right? I, mean, this is, I feel like so many people, when they've got to send the woman to the to the fantasy world to do the swords and sorcery stuff, and they've got to be like dressed like this, so often it's just this like really lame bikini. But this thing that Storm has on, it is like fashion, honey. Yeah. It's like this, it's like J-Lo would wear it. Like it's, it's like this neckline that goes all the way down to her belly button. Mm. And then it's got this like, um, very Wonder Woman as girdle, and then it's got this sweeping skirt that's in multi- with slits all the way up to her thighs. I mean, it's cool. You can tell that Perez really enjoys drawing fashion in a way that Burn Burn likes drawing like streetwear, and Burn mm-hmm. likes drawing superhero costumes. But Burn, I don't think, likes drawing fashion as much as Perez. Yeah. No, it was very fashionable. And then it's also like the not the Western clothes that Storm is always like, oh, please take this out, take them away from my eyes. So this is something, you know, when as soon as like she appears, I'm like, ooh, this should have been one page instead of like <laughs> one long, one long strip of the Pen side. Up, I'm like, yeah. damn, that's like, that's like a wasted opportunity. Um, but yeah, I mean, you know, it's like uh, also the end. I mean, I guess we are not there yet, but, um, you know, so I'm going to wait till that. Well, you can, you can jump around. It's yeah, fine. just jump. Oh. I only have two other things yeah. really to talk about. Yeah. In this oh, okay. So I mean, the, roll, roll on. The thing is, though, and this is this is not a spoiler because it's not a new thing. I mean, you know, so we have the fastball special, and then later on, we've been told that these are like mutant technology or synergy or however way you want to call it. You know, so there is like, some serious mutant synergy going on between Colossus, Storm, and uh, Cyclops, and like how us. they use use their power, which yep. is 
This is the first time I think I've seen three mutants working together. I mean, then we now have five and six. But mm -hmm. um, I'm just saying that it just kind of, yeah, <laughs> I mean, I'm not saying where. No, you no know. said anything. Yeah, no, this isn't anything. But the thing is, it starts with two and now three. You know, yeah. like it's like how you kind of use the power together. And I kind of liked it, you know. It wasn't like one of those things like, oh, no, you know, we need to save it. Like, no, we can't. It's like, well, no, let's find a way to save it. You know, yeah. it just, it just, I think it read a little better from that point of view or else it would just be like, oh, another story where they were taken somewhere and they had to fight their way back. So I think I really like that aspect of it. I, I completely agree with you. I read this like a year or two ago on my read with the kid. And so I reread it for this. And I was like, I like this a lot more than my rating and my comments from two years ago. Why is that? And I just think that it like hits a little differently right now in mm. the Hickman era of X-Men than it hit a year or two ago. It's just a little more fun. It feels like a little more modern, I think, than it felt before because we're revisiting some of these themes right now. Yeah. Right. Tyler, what did you think? I mean, uh, I've... I, I really like the fact that the X-Men were all working together mm. and um, like you know in the early parts remember the main our main um, uh, complaints about the fight scenes is like they they run it rush in one after another but here we have like some really interesting synergy going on and then um, I also kind of enjoy the fact that like Colossus just disappear and then appear with like a dragon yes <laughs> <laughs> That's right. And then he's like, and the, and then he kept he 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 pulled Cyclops onto it and left Wolverine the, <laughs> behind. And Wolverine right. is like, Wolverine is like, hey, wait for me, and then grab the dragon's leg. So that, um, that yeah. was. <laughs> I'm like, oh, they like you know um, what's in Lockheed is not here yet, so you know they don't they they need dragons in X Men, so they here we are. And we will find over the course of the X-Men run, Claremont loves dragon stuff. He loves mm. kind of like sword and sorcery, chivalry stuff. Yeah, and he, he will find any excuse to insert it into X-Men that he can. If someone can have a dream, if someone can go to an alternate dimension, mm. he is all about it. Especially if he gets to use Nightcrawler or Kitty. That then then it's his favorite, which comes to bear fruit later in Excalibur. Yeah. So yeah. this is really the origin of that. This is like Claremont's first go at that kind of story. And actually, it, it's not bad. It's really not. And the other mm. thing is that it has that environmentalist angle too, which I just don't feel like X-Men mm. get to do a lot. But I mean, they're saving this planet because the planet was illuminated by this ring of light around it. Basically, it's you know space dust that formed the ring was giving it its light and its heat. And when that dissipated, which is connected to previous stories this was originally a character that debuted in avengers uh mm -hmm. the light went out and so they're always seeking are this guy is always seeking heroes from earth to bring to his world to kind of like reignite the sun which uh is definitely a theme that we've come back to in x-men comic books in the future and uh and so he really he didn't necessarily go to the earth to get storm but when he meets storm he's like oh this is gonna work and he brings storm back and storm again this is like real growth is like, well, what if they need me? Like, don't yeah. rescue me if they need me. And then Colossus show, or Cyclops showing real growth is like, well, wait a second. Let's not just leave you behind. We have a way to strategize. Maybe I can help this too. And it just, yeah. uh, you know, it's a not a bad story. 
Um, and then also, like, I really like that typically in this fantasy situation is like, oh, we're going to kidnap the gal. And then, oh, we're going to put her in some weird bikini. And yeah, then she's going to be our, Leia, you know, like, yeah, very... and she, yeah, she's going to be our <laughs> captive, like, you know, yeah. our captive and stuff. But she'll be this, forced to do whatever. Yeah, she'll be forced to do, to do yeah. whatever, marry someone, you know, like that, you know. But then this one is like, she's like, no, I mean, you know, I'm here. They gave me this wonderful clothes that your none of your mall can provide me. So <laughs> I'm going to help this people out and that was that was actually pretty refreshing so i yeah. i really like that um also these people like for someone who needs humans help they're really not nice to humans like you know it's like no, hey this, i think at some point they could have been like thanks for saving our whole planet they're, yeah. they're sending the wrong person to come and get help yeah exactly it was like you puny human bleh. and then it's like oh i'm never gonna be against a woman and like or like i'm like ew gross yeah. get out of here i'm not gonna help you you all can die well so, they're written very much in that like as guardian model of they just yeah. view all other races and people right. kind of like inferior yeah yeah, yeah that's true the, the only other thing really I think to take away from this is uh, I do believe, Tyler, if I'm not mistaken, that these lightning bolts come back into play at least one more time in Claremont's X-Men run. The, the, where, I think where so. The guy, he disappears with Storm and then Cyclops is like, well, I guess we're going to see what these lightning bolts does. And he throws it down and it's like this interdimensional yeah. teleport gate. Yeah. Uh, I do think that that comes back at least one more time in Claremont's I run. I think so. Yeah. I think it came back once. Um, but the other thing that, the other trope that, I mean, not really a trope, but the other thing, the other constant about, about X-Men is that they keep destroying machines. Oh, that's <laughs> they, true. they destroy the, the danger room again. That's true. And this time it's like, it's like, it, it happens all the time. Uh, like how, how many planes have they down so far? <laughs> so many. And that's what I'm saying. Oh, where does the money come from? Because oh. it's like, how are they fixing these things? Cyclops says it comes from his bank account now. But I'm like, yeah. how yeah. bottomless is his bank account? Not very. No. Yeah. No. We need to get one of those mutants who can fix these things. Maybe. Well, no. speaking no. of where, where uh, <laughs> the Scrooge McDuck of X-Men is right now, we come to our classic X-Men story mm. because this happens right on the heels of that arcade story we just read. It has to happen before the Proteus Saga because Jean yeah. and, is not with the team and neither is Professor Xavier. And Xavier's in space and we got a brief interlude of that back in issue 121 or 122 in the, that we discussed in the last... Yeah. We discussed in the last issue. Yeah, one twenty-two. Here in Classic X Men Thirty-One, we have Xavier living the consort life and trying to figure out, in a way that really is part of immigrant chat between the three of us, <laughs> how does he represent his knowledge, his personhood, his expertise in a society that doesn't necessarily value him as a human and doesn't not, not as a human but humans in general they don't value humans yeah uh and what is his place in that before i turn it over to those two of you with much more relevant takes probably than i will have there i also have to point out that xavier is explicitly dressed as captain picard here and this <laughs> i think i checked the dates and i think star trek the next generation would have happened by the mm. time this issue is drawn. So here's the origin of, of uh, Patrick Stewart Patrick cast Stewart. as Xavier. It, it's right here. This is Claremont making his original pitch for it. No, it's not Claremont. It's Andocenti. Oh, is this Andocenti? This almost yeah, this feels is, like a This is issue. a normal Andocenti story. It's oh, not a creepy Andocenti one. Andocenti masquerading as a, nor as a regular <laughs> normal writer. not a creep show. <laughs> so Priya, what did you think about Professor Xavier's Stranger in a Strange Land? 
so it's kind of interesting though because even if we see mutants suffering or mutants being persecuted and stuff professor xavier is actually potentially the least persecuted of them all because he has his place in with the avengers his place with the cabal like you know he's kind of he has privilege he has several privileges that intersect with being a mutant yeah, exactly. And I think a lot of people don't even think of him as mutant. They also almost think of him as a superpowered being, like the same way they think about Doctor Strange or anyone mm-hmm. else. So I think this was the first time I actually thought of him as a mutant as well. Because before this, I never did because I was like, oh, Patrick Stewart, you know, everyone loves him. Like, I'm telling you, before reading comics, I always kind of liked Professor Xavier. Then now I'm realizing, oh no, I loved Patrick Stewart. Mm, so yeah. I didn't like Professor Xavier because he is awful. Um, so yeah, so it's like one of those things. I'm like, yeah, get the test of your own medicine, son. Like, you know, like it's like he, he doesn't do much for the mutant community as I would like. And then now he's just moping about. And I'm like, Okay, but I like the other alien lady, Lady, right? Yeah. She, she appeared to be a lady. Like, you know, she's a plumber and she's like, well, she what is that? She fixes things. Yeah, I'm fixing things. Like, what is it? And it's like, oh, how do you deal with being lowly? I'm like, don't call her lowly, you lowly man. Like, what's wrong with you? Right, but, he's, yeah. he's applying this assumption that he has from his cultural context that, like, somebody yeah. that keeps the world running. I mean, she's a plumber, but she also, like, reports directly to Lalandra. It's clear right. that she has a different status level than, like, mm-hmm. Joe the plumber that Xavier's going to call and treat badly. Now we know how he treats the plumbers who fix the Exactly, right? After, you right. know, after Colossus <laughs> lays a steel turd. Yeah. And so, um... <laughs> And so he like brings that to here, but then it all it like helps him realize that other people are just assuming that he's this like worm of a human because most hu- stories about humans the Shar have heard are about how like backwards that that planet must be. And, and remember, I talked about that how much I hate that. I actually also hated it here too. I'm like, oh come on, seriously, how 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 is it? How is it that such only the bad stories coming about? Seriously, no but one he, talk about the good stories. I'll I'll throw it to Tyler in just a second here, but I have to point out Xavier was making this assumption because at the end oh, when he goes back okay, to play okay, chess okay. with them, they're like happy to play chess with them. So it's almost yeah. like he's heard people say that thing that you're saying, and then oh, he's internalized that, and he's okay, not okay. allowing himself out of his immigrant bubble to to see if that's true and truly how people feel or not but tyler why don't you speak on this for a while yeah i mean in some ways i think this is a really clever story Mm. um and it's not uh, i I mean i thought it's 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 pretty funny to see xavier pouting and feeling (laughs) inadequate um yeah because i i mean he, he he has i mean like even remember like even when he was he was um, uh, where when he was in Egypt, he was actually quite. He was actually already quite powerful. Right. So and then he, uh, I believe, he inherited the wealth of um, his estate right from from his dad. So he he has like like Peter said, he has been privileged for mm-hmm. a long time. So it, it's interesting to see him being put in his place. Um, justifiably or not justifiably um, but um, and, and, and see how he deals with it which in this case he did not deal with it really well at all and until, then also mm-hmm. yeah, sorry no no I said until the plumber basically fixes it for him 
Ah, um, ooh, pun word wordplay. Um, but the thing is, like, he our homeboy also just burged into a meeting with Elandra yeah. and some other people. Like, yeah, you should be like, hey, hey. Yeah, I was like, hey, hey, get out of here! I don't care who you are and stuff like. Yeah. Do not put yourself in these other people's other world's politics. You don't know anything. Yeah. Well, he's like, well, I as a leader on Earth of a team of students, let me make a comment on five how to people. Run your inner five empire. people. Yeah. yeah, and by the way, it's not the not the uh, like in a group of people we know now. It's the five people that he knows. <laughs> yeah, and I think I mean you can definitely. We did say at the beginning we could talk a little bit about House of X and Powers of X. Mm-hmm. You could read the story a little bit differently, knowing what we know now about Xavier, which is that he, whether or not he has knowledge of the Shi'ar from some of those past lives he's been filled mm-hmm. in on, he definitely recognizes that there are things that he can take from this experience and he knows he's going to go back to earth and and be with the x-men again at some point yeah and so it's that kind of like flavors my read of this now which is that it's not entirely um he's not being altruistic at any point here like he he's out there to get something yeah right yeah and potentially also you know upset that his students died so that's probably coloring it a little bit but i think like this is the for the first time we saw professor xavier the mutant charles X- chuck xavier the mutant i don't think i've ever seen him before hmm. like yeah seriously never like you know just go back and if you guys read or think about any anytime he shows up he's just a normal superhero with a lot of power he never he never gives that you know, even Cyclops actually comes off as a mutant, but he yeah. never does. Well, I mean, is he is he part of the Illuminati now? Yeah. Well, yeah. Not point, now, now I don't. He know. is right. I mean, he not is. now. I mean, at this point in the story, oh, he is. Oh, he yeah. is right. Yeah. yeah. So he 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 feels superior because. Of yeah. That. Exactly. Yeah, that's one thing, right? And he's not and then, out to the general community. It's important to say as a mutant, mm. and e- um, even when he leaves Earth, I think he's still seen as a mutant sympathizer but not necessarily a mute mm, but yeah. of course we're saying the people in power the franklin richards the reed uh or the, i mean the reed richards the tony stark that they, yeah. they know that he's yeah a, yeah or do they well this, <laughs> retrospectively they do because of illuminati i was just uh, looking at the the reading order and some initial illuminati stuff happens before giant says it so mm. oh okay mm. so that i think is our chat do we have anything else to say about these issues mm. For this, no, I mean, I just thought that, like, it was interesting that, um, um, I, I mean, the first time I encountered, like, 3D chess was in Big Bang Theory. I did not, I forgot about this, that, <laughs> that, um, uh, Anosenti has, has mentioned 3D chess before. So, well, have you, are you not a Star Trek fan? No, I'm not. Oh, we should, our mm. question for discussion should have been about vintage sci fi. We'll bring that back during the Dark Phoenix oh. saga. Okay. okay. So, uh, so guess what, y'all? You got to buckle up because we are about to head into the hot, hot, hot section of this mm-hmm. epic X-Men reread. Next, Thank God. <laughs> next <laughs> episode, we are going to come back and we are reading Uncanny X-Men 125 through 128, which is the Proteus saga. Proteus, and yeah. let me tell you, we are going to be talking a lot about 
House of X and Powers of X in that episode. So this is your warning to either finally read House of X and Powers of X or potentially skip that episode. And we'll warn you when the episode gets here, but we're going deep. And then Mm -hmm. after that is the Dark Phoenix saga, which we're going to split across several episodes because there are a lot of classic X-Men issues to read in here. So Mm. next issue, uh, next episode, we're definitely going to be reading Classic X-Men, I think, 32 and 33, and finally go back to take a look at Classic X-Men 7. That could change on the day of, though, as we read them and kind of move them around. Uh, And then also, we're going to be kind of wrapping up all of the rest of the Classic X-Men stories by the end of this Dark Phoenix reads, because that's kind of where the the Classic X-Men backups stop. So for now, all you need to worry about is reading Proteus for the next time. And if you want to see where all these things fit in order, you need to go to Crushing Crisis, that's with a K, Crushing with a C, crisis with a K, dot com, because that is the home to all of my X-Men reading orders and guides and how to collect every X-Men issue ever and just about every Marvel issue from every major franchise ever. So if you go look at the reading order there, you can see kind of what's come before and what's going to be coming even after the Dark Phoenix Saga. That's everything that was on my list. Freya, what else do you have to say? Can I also say that, I mean, it's probably, it's kind of, if you can read Marauders as well, just so you can go to the last issue, which was issue 19. 18, <laughs> and just 18, 18 19, 19, yeah. 18, 19, and then just because the first three pages of that issue for Pro- we will be, reading we will Proteus be Saga. Very, very cautious. That will be nice. How we explain to you what we're going to spoil in the next episode. Yeah, uh, that will be kind of nice. Just go read that. Yeah. I think you can read that out I, of order. It's Marauders 18, yeah. I'm so excited because I've read and talked about the Dark Phoenix saga many times with many, many people. It's the most famous X-Men story. Uh, Mm. I have never, not once, gotten to talk about the Proteus saga with another human being before. And that's going to happen in the next episode, which is so much fun because why, Faria? X-Men is better when it's read together. That's right. So I am so excited to come back for our next episode to read with Tyler and Freya and with you as well. So until we talk to you then, please... Be well, and we'll see you soon for Epic X-Men Reread here on Crushing Comics.